I'm Chloe Potter, and this is Vision Vibes, the podcast that hopes to give you inspiration and tools to live a more satisfying life. This story was originally broadcast on television as part of the interview series Direct Talk. If you enjoy listening, you can head to the NHK World website to watch. You'll find interviews with people from all walks of life. When people are dehumanized, it becomes much easier to deny them their right to be equal. This has happened to different groups throughout history. African slaves, Jews, women, homosexuals, and now non-binary and transgender people. The truth is that everyone is human and deserves the same rights, no matter their appearance, religion, inheritance, gender, or sexual orientation. Everyone deserves to live a normal life without fear of attack or prejudice. Today's interviewee, lesbian Lisa Power, has spent her life campaigning for LGBTQ plus rights. She has watched the last 50 years unfold and understands that the key to unlocking real change is to focus on everyone's common humanity. Lisa is optimistic and points to the rapid progress made towards LGBTQ plus equality. As recently as the 1980s, it was legal in the UK to discriminate against people for their sexual orientation. So much has changed. But she cautions that we cannot be complacent. There are still countries where it is illegal to be homosexual. Some still impose the death penalty. And transgender people everywhere are being dehumanized. A good place to start is to bring the lived experience of LGBTQ plus people into the light, which is where a new museum in London comes in. Lisa will explain. Here is narrator Joanna Bartholomew. I'll meet you on the other side. Lisa Power is one of the most influential LGBTQ activists and campaigners in the UK. She was one of the creators and founding members of Stonewall, the social justice and equality group. Direct Talk met her to find out why Queer Britain, the first LGBTQ plus museum in the UK, which opened in May 2022, is so important, and why she's proud to be a supporter and a trustee. I very much believe in that old mantra about the personal being political. So a lot of what I campaign around is stuff that very much relates to my personal life. And I think it's important to do that. You know, I'm a lesbian, so I care about LGBT concerns. One of the fascinating aspects of Queer Britain is it really feels like an idea whose time has come. We found that we were pushing at open doors. There'd been the start of a, a museum's movement to actually acknowledge the amount of lesbian, gay, bi and trans history that was in museums. So coming along and saying, and let's have a museum for all of the stories that aren't yet being celebrated. We've pushed at an open door within the museum's world, but we've also pushed at an open door within the gay world because many people from the first generation of activists are now older, dying off. Some people have already died. We are aware of the need to preserve our history in a way that we haven't been before. So I think we've absolutely hit the zeitgeist. 
In the half-century since criminalization of male homosexuality was partly repealed, Britain's LGBTQ communities have made many contributions to British culture and society, often while faced with tremendous adversity. Queer Britain is a showcase of photographs and memorabilia to remind people of how LGBTQ rights were achieved. It is also a dedicated space to celebrate key figures from history who paved the way, such as Oscar Wilde. The thing that makes me cry is the cell door for Oscar Wilde's cell. Oscar Wilde being a, a famous writer from the UK who was imprisoned for homosexuality in the 19th century. Somebody realised that Oscar Wilde's cell door was there and they saved it. And for me, that's the amazing thing. Queer Britain is full of things that ordinary people, most of them queer, looked at and thought, I need to hold on to that. This is obviously the absolute treasure and it has enormous emotional impact on people as they come in. But many of the badges, the posters, things scattered around here are things that really meant something to somebody, so they held on to it. But now they've given it so that everybody can understand what we lived through, our history. There are lots of things in the museum that make me feel joyful. One of them is the wall of things that are actually contributed by people who visit the museum. And we ask all of them, why is it important to be visible? Why is it important for LGBT plus people to be seen? And they all give their own answers. It's wonderful to be seen. It's powerful to be seen. Validating. Liberating. Life-changing. Essential. Radical. Life-affirming. I use an Indian word. It feels shandar to be seen. Being seen is powerful. Being seen is joyful. A lot of young people go in and they're, you know, they're just entranced by all the exhibits. But also people bring their parents. There are older gays there who go in and you can see them saying, I remember that. It's the people that make it, as well as the exhibits. Lisa grew up in South London. She knew from a young age that she was a lesbian. But during her childhood in the 70s, it was difficult to be openly lesbian, as it meant a woman had no rights as a mother and could lose custody of children, even be sapped from jobs. Well, I realised that I liked other girls from very early on. But I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have anything to relate to. We talk a lot these days about having uh, role models and icons and stuff like that. Well, you didn't have them in my day. I was always aware of homosexuality, both male and female. And I can't tell you why, but in my youth, there were a lot of oblique references. And I remember, you know, uh, radio programs that made jokes, which were obviously had a, a gay subtext. But there wasn't anything there to tell you this is who you might be. In those days, if you were a lesbian and you had children, they would be taken from you. You really wouldn't get custody. There was an awful lot of injustice and an awful lot of persecution and an awful lot of stigma. But it didn't stop people from being gay or lesbian. It just stopped people from being happy. Um, and I didn't think that was right. <laughs> The museum reflects many of the events that Lisa lived through, 
including the devastating epidemic of AIDS in the 1980s. Lisa was one of the original people to volunteer on the helplines set up to help desperate young people during that time. A little while after I moved to London, I became a volunteer with Gay Switchboard, as it was then. We just call it Switchboard LGBT now. And we were getting calls because we were a a 24-hour-a-day, 365-days-a-year helpline for the gay community. And so if people were worried about something or they'd heard a rumour about something, they would ring us up. And for years, once we started to get information and know what was going on... We ended every call at Gay Switchboard with just a little thing to everyone saying, have you heard about AIDS? We'd talk to everybody about safer sex, about how you could or could not transmit the virus, about the stigma of AIDS and trying to dispel the fears that people had. We spoke a lot to, to young gay men who just come out, they were just finding community, and they were terrified that they were going to end their life early. And that went on for over a decade. We didn't find effective treatment until 1996, when triple combination therapy came in. This cabinet is all about the early years of AIDS. HIV, as we call it, now that we have treatment that can keep you alive. But in the early days, the gay community was particularly hard hit. And this is a string of posters and funeral services and other paperwork all things that were there because people were dying on us every week. And if you knew a lot of people in the gay community, you lost quite a few people. I actually don't know anybody who volunteered on Switchboard or in any HIV-related organisation in the 80s and the early 90s who doesn't have some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's even worse if you were one of the people who was living with HIV, waiting to see if you were going to die. As the AIDS epidemic continued, the demonising of gay people galvanised Lisa and her friends into creating a professional lobbying group that would prevent such attacks on lesbians, gay and bisexual people. In 1989, Lisa was one of the founding members of Stonewall. Today, it's the largest LGBTQ rights organisation in Europe. The aims of the founders was to abolish Section 28, a law that discriminated against homosexuals. They demanded an extensive programme of legislative goals based on the principle that if heterosexual people had rights, homosexuals should have the same. One of the things on show here is a piece of typed paper signed by um, six gay men who'd had a rather boozy lunch at Ian McKellen's house on the Thames and decided to type up a manifesto to start a new organisation. When they'd done that, they said, oh, we'd better get some lesbians, and that's where I came in. Effectively, in the late 1980s, you already had a situation where it was legal to sack us, it was legal to take our kids away from us, it was legal to refuse us goods and services. There were huge prejudice, huge amounts of violence against us. And on top of that, the government turned round and put a clause into some other legislation which stopped local authorities from funding anything to do with lesbians and gay men. And the idea was basically to drive us all back into the closet and make us shut up. And instead it had the opposite impact. 
what we wanted was equality. If straight people had a right, then gay people should have a right. Whether that was the same age of consent, whether it was the right to be included in equality legislation alongside gender and ethnicity and disability, which, you know, all of these laws became changed after Stonewall got stuck in. We had no idea when we started Stonewall how successful it would be. One of the milestones in Lisa's life was when same-sex marriage was legalised in the UK in 2014 by a Conservative government. When we started Stonewall, we barely talked about marriage equality because it seemed so impossible. Um, It really did seem that was the most unlikely thing that we could possibly get. And yet, when it happened... I suddenly understood. It's like key that unlocked a whole load of people's feelings about us being the same as everyone else. It's hugely symbolic, hugely important, and I now really understand why we do need to fight for marriage equality across the, across the world. And for a lot of people, the idea of being able to have a marriage, a steady job, and just get on with an ordinary everyday life is what they're aiming for. And it's really important that we fight for people to have that right. Lisa feels that there are many battles still to be won in terms of acceptance. Transgender people are now receiving a lot of hate crime the same way that gay people did when she was young. That in some respects, progress is being lost. People like to find an easy target. And at the moment, trans people are an easy target. People don't. People think they don't know anyone. They don't really understand them, just like they thought they didn't know any gay people in the 80s because we were all keeping our mouths shut. Now that's unacceptable, and I'm hoping that we learn from the lessons of the 80s. I think it's vital that we are able to show the everyday, ordinary humanity of trans people in the same way that we eventually managed to show the everyday, ordinary humanity of lesbians and gay men and bisexual people. People do not transition in order to have an easier life. They transition because they must, just as it never occurred to me not to be a lesbian. You can say no, but you'll explode eventually, and the longer you leave it, the more miserable you'll get. Around the world, LGBTQ plus people in many countries are still living in fear. And Lisa fears that in some democratic countries, progress is going backwards. We have a problem at the moment that there is a right-wing backlash in much of the world. And part of that backlash is being anti-gay, anti-abortion, anti-trans, all of these things, uh, and also women going back and, you know, staying in the home. So at the moment, we really do have to fight the kinds of anti-gay attitudes that are rising up again that we thought we'd seen the back of. So we have to do that. But at the same time, we're also working globally to decriminalise homosexuality in... There's still, I think, about 70 countries where it's completely criminalised death penalty in a small number of those. Lisa is still dedicated to campaigning and remains a proud supporter of many LGBTQ charities, marches and events. And whenever she can, she attends pride events around the world which celebrate her community. Pride everywhere has started to be more celebrated. It's a celebration 
and a protest. And I think it's really important that you have both of those elements. It's saying we're here, we're queer, we're fabulous. Um, but it's also saying it's fine, come out and join us. I think people often think about activism in terms of people being angry. And of course, you know, there is anger because it's anger at injustice. But I think anger is no good unless you do something constructive with it. You have to use that anger to change the world in a constructive way, or what use is it? History is for interfering with, just do it. The messages left by visitors to the museum really struck me. As soon as we think about an individual rather than a group, then compassion and empathy become much easier and more immediate. For example, if I think about my friend, my sibling, or one of my own children not being allowed to marry the person they love, it's so evidently wrong. It's heartbreaking. With politics becoming increasingly tribal and algorithms creating echo chambers that stop us from interacting with people who are different to us, people's common humanity can easily get lost. The more we can celebrate and normalize the full plethora of humanity in the media, in popular culture, and in our own private circles, the better. The things that unite us are always far greater than the things that divide us. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I'm Chloe Potter. Join us next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes. <laughs>